Good evening. Good evening. Blessed to be here, guys. It's so good to be here. I love 7 p.m. Like I said last week, 7 p.m. coming back here really just feels like home. So I want to thank you for, for welcoming me last week. If I haven't met you before, my name's Leon, and I'm one of the student ministers here at the Bridge Church. And here at the Bridge Church, as you can see, 2024 is the year of spiritual renewal the year of spiritual renewal. If you're unfamiliar with this, every single year, our senior pastor, Paul Dale, he prays, he seeks the Lord, he waits on the Lord for a theme for the entire year, for our entire church. And this year is the year of spiritual renewal. For some of you, you might be thinking, this is exactly what I need. This is exactly what I need. For others, you might be thinking, what does that even mean? What, what could spiritual renewal mean? How could you even manufacture spiritual renewal in our lives? But really, I think it is just a moment for all of us to pause, to reflect, to, to take stock of where we're at with God, to ask ourselves, who is God to me in this very moment? Is God my, my loving Father who embraces me every day as I walk? Amazing, if so. Or is God the, one of the many little G gods in my life who I worship every day? Just one of many. Well, we're two weeks into this year of spiritual renewal. Aren't we renewed? Aren't we renewed? No. I think for a lot of us, I suspect for a lot of us, this doesn't just happen immediately. It might take a while before we become completely invigorated in our faith. God might feel distant. It might be a struggle to spend time with him, enjoy communion with him. This year's just started, but, but yet it could be so hard for, for us to resolve somehow all of our spiritual New Year's resolutions. It feels impossible. Or you could be. You could be spending time reading your Bible, you could be spending time praying. You can do those two things without actually spending time with God. Who is God? Where are you at with God right now? Because in these moments where, where we reflect and we take stock of our spiritual condition, we can often realize that our life in Christ is very rarely actually life with Christ with Christ, with Jesus as our king and our friend. And it's in these moments that, that we, we think back. It makes us think back to those days where we were spiritually on fire, where we did actually feel renewed in our relationship with God, where we poured over the scriptures because we just loved hearing God's voice, where we had this evangelistic zeal that couldn't be quenched, where we played worship music all day long, quietly worshiping, whether we were at work, the kitchen, or on our daily commute, where we actually decided to fight our sin for once, where we were truly content in God and not living out of comparison. Or maybe for you, if you're, you're being completely honest, you're not even thinking back to those moments and wishing it was now. Your spiritual condition, it, it might not matter that much to you, being saved is just good enough. Life is too busy. Life is too short to be worried about my spiritual condition with God. 
you're being honest, it's just fine to be saved, to think about church, to think about God only at church on Sundays. If that's you, as it has been me many times in my life, I want to say that you were made for more, that God designed our lives to be enriched, fulfilled, enjoyed, but with him. There's a pastor I follow in the States. His name is Pete Scazzaro. And Pete Scazzaro is, is best known for his work on emotionally healthy spirituality. And he's been a pastor for the last 30 years. And across this last 30 years, he's kind of observed, observed his, his church and he observed the spiritual landscape of the Western society he's in. And he's written a short diagnosis, which I think is incredibly accurate for a lot of us in our fast-paced, busy, success-driven, aspirational society. He has all these symptoms that he lists out, and they're going to come up on the screen. I'm just going to rattle them off. He observes that many of us are feeling stuck in our spiritual journey with Christ, living off of other people's spirituality, scattered, fragmented, and uncentered, tired physically, spiritually, emotionally, existing with only a one-inch deep spirituality, praying and communing with God very little, busy and not very intentional in pursuing Jesus, struggling to stop our life on the run. Oh my gosh, this is a heavy diagnosis. This, these are a long list of symptoms, but I think it's quite accurate. We might literally just be 14 days into this new year, yet already struggling to seek our Savior Jesus. And I'm not going to lie here, there have been moments in, in even the last 30 days where I have felt every single one of those symptoms. Just the last 30 days, it can feel so hard to get this spiritual renewal, this so-called spiritual renewal, and get out of this spiritual slumber that we so often find ourselves in. So what's the answer? What's the answer to this so-called spiritual slumber? Well, yes, of course, it's spiritual renewal, but, but how do we get there? How do we get there? I think it's found in Psalm 51. Psalm 51. And I want to say our focus verse for today is verse 10. Verse 10, David prays. Read with me here. David prays, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew, renew a steadfast spirit within me. David's prayer is one of renewal. He believes that God can bring complete renewal to his spirit that God can bring back the fire, bring back the love, bring back the obedience. And that's got to be our prayer today too. Create in me, in you, in me, in us, a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me, within you, within us, church. Because with our God, there is a way to receive spiritual renewal. There is a way. There is a way that God could fan to flame the flickering fire in your heart. There is a way to live a content, unhurried life with Jesus amidst all the busyness you experience. There is a way to grow deep in your spiritual maturity, to read your Bible every day, not because you have to, but because you want to. There is a way to pour yourself out in service to Jesus like a drink offering, yet at the same time, be full of life, because the well you drink from contains the living water of Jesus. There is a way. So what's the way of spiritual renewal? What's that way? Well, I want to say that it's not 
sexy. It's not fancy. It's not easy. It's often not enjoyable. I think the way to renewal is repentance. Repentance must precede your renewal. That's what our focus verse for today is saying. Psalm 51 verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Yes, David prays for renewal, but before that, what's he praying? He's praying, create in me a pure heart. Make myself, my soul, my mind, my whole being pure. David's desire is to return to holiness, return to purity. He knows that renewal goes hand in hand with repentance, right? Returning to the, God, the holiness that, the, that God is calling us to. Yes, we might be hungry for spiritual renewal, 7 p.m. We might be hungry. But often what is holding us back is a sin that we're holding on to. Sin, it's not popular to talk about, but it's simply what held David back in his relationship with God. And if you read that little description at the top of the psalm, if you read that little description, it says, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. This is David's most famous sin. On a day where he was idle, where he had plenty of time on his hands, where his eyes began to wander, that's when a lot of this sort of sin happens. David looked out the window, saw a beautiful woman, Bathsheba, and he requests for her to come to his residence, the king's residence. And he sleeps with her, conceives a child, then in an attempt to cover up his sin, he kills her husband. This is David's most famous sin, his most famous sins. Yet in this moment, he, he experiences this deep sorrow. This deep sorrow, this deep desire for renewal, it prompts the writing of Psalm 51. That's how we get this today. David, although committing heinous sins, has a deep awareness at this point of his need for cleansing, his need to repent. So that's what we're talking about today. Repentance. Returning to God in holiness and purity. Because I believe that our year of spiritual renewal must first start with repentance, simple obedience, holiness. So often we think that any sort of spiritual renewal or revival starts with hands lifted up high in worship. But really, I think it's got to start first with knees brought down low in repentance. Knees brought down low, knowing your sin, seeking change in your heart before the holy God Brought low, yes, but so that we can appreciate the ways that God has lifted us up and gifted us his overflowing mercy. So that's what we'll talk about today, repentance. Repentance. And from Psalm 51, I'm just going to draw out three statements on repentance. The first statement is going to be much longer, but I think it sets up our final two statements on repentance, and that'll be much quicker. So the first statement, repentance is knowing the God who you repent to. The repentance is knowing the God who you repent to because you can't repent without knowing who you're repenting to. Knowing exactly who we pray to completely changes the way we pray and what we pray for. Yes, David's prayer in Psalm 51, it does tell us a lot about David, tells us a lot about what he's feeling, but it also reveals to us a lot about God, a lot about who God is. 
Because would David in verse 1 pray to God, have mercy on me, O God, if this God wasn't a merciful God? Would he pray in verse 2, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins? If this God was not the holy God that demanded purity from his people. How we pray reveals a lot about who we think God is. A few years ago, I I used to work at Channel 9. And one day at work, I had this interesting opportunity to be part of a a TV ad on on the footy show. A TV ad for the footy show. There's a picture going to come up if you don't believe me. I'm that Asian guy with slightly longer hair. Just slightly longer. It is me. Anyway, you can get rid of that. Um, Anyway, we were filming on set. And I'm sitting there. And in comes some of the footy show hosts. And I'm like, wow, footy show hosts. Never met them before. What if I had a conversation with one of them? What if I got the opportunity to to maybe even talk to one of the ex-footy players, like Bo Ryan? Anyone heard of Bo Ryan? Anyway, okay. Um, Anyway, and I start to think, what would I say to him? How would I speak to him? He's kind of a footy player, so I don't want to sing too North Shore. I want to sing casual. But he's also a media professional. I've got to be a bit more formal, maybe. Don't want to sound dumb. Anyway, I was racking my brains. How do I speak to him? What's the tone I use? Day goes along, I don't even speak to him. I was stressing for nothing. Anyway, my point is, my point is here, the way we often speak to someone tells us a lot about who we think that person is. The way we speak to someone tells us a lot about who we think that person is. The way that we speak to God tells us about who we think God is. And this completely changes the way we repent. Here's why. If you believe God to be a God who could never give you complete assurance of forgiveness, who you think is going to be forever disappointed in all the sins of your life, then your repentance is always going to come from a place of fear, a fear of judgment, a fear that comes with no sense of comfort that you will ever be forgiven. You might... Yes, you might, it might lead you to obedience. It might lead you to obligation and duty. It might drive you even to do the right things. Yet it will always come from a place of fear and it will always end in fear because you will never know the mercy of God. But then let's take the other side, the opposite issue. Romans 6 verse 1 says, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Shall we go on sinning so grace may increase? This scripture here warns us against the believer who sins, then sins again because they believe that grace is theirs for the taking. The more I sin, the more grace I receive. This is the child of God who takes the Father's grace for granted, who, yes, they might have an understanding of this God of forgiveness. They might actually have confidence, the right confidence in in their own forgiveness. But whose repentance just never lasts. This child takes grace as if it costs nothing when it costs God his precious son, Jesus. And I bring up these two sides because I think we tend to fall on either side. Some of us see God as, as so holy that we could never come forward at his table when in fact God has pulled up a chair with your name on it. There is no need to doubt your assurance, no need to doubt your forgiveness. But then there's the other side. Some of us see God as the pushover dad. The pushover dad. The God who, who, the dad who forgives without ever disciplining his children or, or helping his children see wrong from right. Some of us take the grace of God and run without ever seeking change. 
But then have you heard of the phrase, sorry just means change? There's these two sides, which I think Psalm 51 holds intention really delicately. David, in his repentance, sees the holiness of God as well as the willing mercy and cleansing of God. Verse 2, read with me. David prays, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Sin demands cleansing because of the holy and divine presence of God. There is this sense in which David understands that Old Testament worship meant that before he could enter the presence of God, he needed to be completely ceremonially clean. He understood that. When we read David's prayer in Psalm 51, asking God to cleanse him, there is this reverent awe in the face of God's holiness. I don't want to say it's trepidation, but it's certainly a careful reverence, a desire to be made right before the holy God. Then jump down with me, verse 11. It says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. This is no flippant prayer that David prays. This is not a prayer of empty words. This here is the prayer of utmost respect. It's the prayer of a man who who sees God's presence as a space that sinners are not worthy enough to enter. It's knowing that the God you are repenting to has a presence that you do not deserve to step foot in. You do not deserve to step foot in on your own grounds. On your own grounds, on Jesus' grounds, that's a different story. You can stand there with confidence. You can stand there with assurance. You can stand there with freedom. And yet, at the same time, while our standing changes, while our standing changes from sinner to saved, from corrupt to cleansed, while our standing changes, nothing changes about the holiness of God. He's going to be as holy as he has ever been and ever will be. Because what we believe about God does not change him. What we believe about God changes us. Changes us. That's why we repent, why we change. Because when you believe that God is is perfectly holy, far above us, set apart beyond measure, then you will feel the weight of his holiness. And you will seek change. You will seek repentance. God is holy. But while he's holy, I want to say that God is also ready to give mercy and cleansing immediately. God is so eager to extend mercy. He is so eager to give you cleansing. While repentance is, yes, knowing the God who is holy, 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 It is also knowing that that same God pours out mercy and cleansing like flowing rivers. In the kingdom of God, when it rains with mercy, it pours with mercy. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God. According to what? According to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion. This unfailing love, Paul talked about this sort of love last week when he said, when he talked about Psalm 63, your love is better than life. But it's what the Jews called the Hesed love, right? A love that is bound up in covenant. A love that isn't wishy-washy, flippant sort of love. It's a covenant kind of love. And then similarly, for the, the word for compassion here, this is the type of compassion they say comes from the womb. 
It's like the connection between a mother and a child. It's deep. It's tethered. It's intimate. So when you repent, know that this God is the God who is so intimately connected with you in covenant. You will receive his mercy because you are his and he is yours. There's a confidence you can carry. Verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. If you're ready to repent, God is ready to cleanse. Simply put, no matter how much you blow up your life, it can be repaired. No matter how far you fall, you can be lifted up. No matter how deeply broken you feel, because we all are, you can be made whole because of the mercy of this God. While he has a holiness that should make us shudder at the privilege we get to enter that presence, he has a mercy that is inviting us into that presence right now. And that is the tension that Psalm 51 holds. So shape your repentance based on this God, the holy and merciful God. When you repent next, make it every day because we always have things to repent for. When you repent next, Get on your knees, whether, whether figuratively or, or even physically, if you're able, and confess your sin in the, the holy presence of God. Then as soon as you confess, know that immediately his mercy and cleansing is yours. Immediately. You can stand tall in the throne room of God. You can stand with confidence. You have been brought low, yes, in repentance, yet you have been lifted up in complete cleansing and bestowed a crown of righteousness. Repentance is knowing that this is the God who you repent to. And I've spent so long on this part of the message because I want this vision of God to frame everything else. Our second statement on repentance is repentance is taking ownership. Repentance is taking ownership. There's nothing complicated about this. Repentance is, is owning the blame. It's, it's complete admission of what you've done. It's, it's not passing the buck, whatever you want to call it. It's knowing that when you've wronged God, or if you're currently in this battle with a persistent sin, to just own up, to just confess. You know, I think confession is something we don't do as much of these days. Maybe it's because we think it's a little bit too Catholic-y, Maybe it's because we think it's a bit too whip yourself sort of thing. Maybe you think it's, it's a bit too sit in a booth, confess to someone you don't know. But I think it's a lost form of worship. I think confession is a lost form of worship because it's really a part of repentance and it should be a part of everyday life. Because David in verse 3, he says, he says, I know, he's confessing, I know my transgressions and my sin is always, always before me. David's saying, I know I've wronged you. I know I'm back again, God. I know I will be back again. It's a complete acceptance of responsibility. And God is so honored when you just take that responsibility. We don't want to be like Adam who who just blames Eve. Adam's so different to Jesus. Jesus, when he was on that cross, he took the responsibility of the whole world's sins, even though he didn't sin once in his life. The least, the very least we could do is take responsibility of our own individual sin. But here's why I think confession is a lost form of worship. And it really goes back to the first point of who God is. 
If God is the one who shows mercy and cleansing to the repentant sinner immediately, then confession, it's not a moment of fear. It's a moment of freedom. It's freedom. Confession should give you that sigh of relief. Because that exact moment you bring up the courage to speak out your sins to God, that exact moment is the moment that you receive the forgiveness, the mercy of God. You are completely cleansed, completely forgiven, completely welcomed into the Father's arms. And here's what I want to do now. It might, it might sound a little bit strange to you, but I want to do a bit of a breathing exercise. So I want to invite you guys to, to close your eyes for a moment, to close your eyes. And as you close your eyes, I want you to... Very slowly, take a deep breath in, very slowly. And as you take that deep breath in, I want you to think of a particular sin in your life. It can be past, it can be present, it can be big, it can be small. And I want you to confess that sin to God. And when you can't breathe in anymore, I want you to hold that breath for just a moment. It might feel a little bit uncomfortable now. And now let that breath go. And as you let that breath go, know that the Holy Lord Almighty has also let go of that sin in your life. You are forgiven, set free, cleansed, purified. He has let go. He's not holding any sins to your name. In that exact moment you confess, you receive his mercy. You can open your eyes now. In that moment where I asked you to, to hold your breath for that moment, it was uncomfortable. And that's what it's like sometimes when we, we hold in our sin. It's uncomfortable. It can feel suffocating. But yet when you confess, that's freedom. You let go because God has let go for you. Repentance is just simply taking ownership of your sin because when you take ownership of what you've done, when you say sorry, it's going to bring you relief. It will even bring you renewal. Verses 14 to 15, read with me. It says, David prays, deliver me from the guilt of my bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. God is ready to deliver you from your guilt. He's going to loose your tongue. He's going to open your lips so that you can praise him, so that you can be renewed again. This is why repentance must precede renewal. What are the sin roadblocks to your praise? There is this weight to sin that David does rightly feel because he's just owning the responsibility for his sin. But at the same time, he's anticipating the shedding of that burden. Asa. Psalm 51 is simply the way people think and feel about their sin when they're born again. Repentance is taking ownership of that sin. And the third statement on repentance, and I'll end on this, repentance is internal. Repentance first starts with the internal. God is not concerned about an external holiness, if it doesn't start with an internal holiness that comes from repentance. Let's read verse 10 again. Create in me a pure heart, O God. It's the heart 
that God needs to make pure. It's not simply removing a, a mark with, with all-purpose spray. It's not simply using nappy sand on a stubborn stain on your clothes that's external. This is a complete spiritual upheaval that starts from within, that starts here. The heart for, for Jewish worshippers was a place of deep, deep contemplation, of emotion, of reflection, of decision-making, of commitment. And it's this place that God wants complete renewal of. He wants repentance that starts deep within because a clean heart is needed for clean behavior. It starts in here. Verses 16 to 17, David says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. There's these external ways of of showing your holiness. But, But God has just no room for empty religion or meaningless sacrifice. Renewal in in your spirit will not be stirred by by sacrifice or burnt offerings. It will not be born from serving, Bible reading, devout and eloquent prayer. It doesn't arise from weekly church attendance, sharing an open mic, raising your hands in worship, connect group loyalty. God looks at the disposition of your heart. A repentant heart that seeks the holiness of God and just cares about what God cares about. You know, I think Christians, me and you, we've gotten really good at hiding our sin and showing our good works. Hiding our sin but showing our good works. When the Bible really tells us to do the opposite, the Bible tells us confess your sins and pray behind a closed door. We've gotten really good at doing the opposite. We love these external exhibitions of holiness when in fact repentance just starts with a deep anguish of your sin and a deep thankfulness that the Lord... Almighty has given you mercy from them. It's complete deliverance. In a beautiful way, a really beautiful way, our offering to God is simply a broken spirit. David says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken and contrite spirit. A heart, even though broken, takes ownership of sin. He just wants your heart 7 p.m., Nothing more, no songs, no financial tithing, no 80% weekly attendance, no rosters. He just wants your heart broken, ashamed, fearful, whatever it is. He just wants it all, just wants it all. It's easy to go to church and appear holy externally. It's easy to fake it, to say all the right things, to speak Christianese. But the heart is where it matters. Repentance has got to start internally. Around five years ago, my parents, they got renovations done on their house. And they got renovations done, particularly in the kitchen area. And it was a, it was a great renovation, went well. Um, things looked beautiful. They loved the space. They used the kitchen a lot. You know, everything was functional. The clean water was coming out. So this was five years ago. But then a few months ago, my parents asked an electrician to come in and look at some of the wiring underneath the house. Completely different issue. And as the electrician was underneath the house, he discovered something that completely shocked my parents. Completely shocked them. He went up to my parents and he said, now I don't know if you know, but five years ago, five years ago when you did this renovation, 
I think the plumber forgot to connect the, the plumbing, the pipes, to the sewerage. I think the plumber forgot to connect those pipes that the kitchen sink uses to the sewerage. So everything that goes through the kitchen sink just ends up underneath the house. My parents were shocked. They had no idea. They couldn't smell it. Surprised me. I couldn't smell it, I guess. And they were completely shocked because at least everything externally seemed to be working well. Everything was fine. It functioned perfectly for the house. It was beautiful. They loved it. The point I'm getting at here is that things can look perfectly fine externally for you and me. You can fake it on the outside for a long time. You could look holy, look pure, be the worship leader, be the connect group leader, welcoming team leader on the screens, on on the slides, whatever. You could be the preacher. Who cares? But yet, at the same time, you could have spiritual sewage and waste in your heart. You can deceive everyone around you, but you cannot deceive the God who sees your heart of hearts, your inner self, the depths of your conscience. You can bring burnt offerings. You can sacrifice the fattened calf. Yet all of that will not please the Lord because all he's asking for, he's not asking for that. He's asking for your broken heart, your broken and contrite heart. Your year of spiritual renewal this year will not start because you devote time to serving. It's not going to start because you look devout. Spiritual renewal will never start with, with choruses of empty praise when you're actually far from the Lord in your heart. Spiritual renewal will not start with hands lifted up high in worship when you haven't been brought down low in repentance. God just wants your heart. He wants your heart to take ownership of the sin in your life, to confess, to say sorry, to seek to change. Get down on your knees if you're able and lay your sins at the foot of the cross. Because at the foot of the cross is where God's divine holiness meets his divine mercy.